Good afternoon, and welcome to the Becker's Orthopaedic Spine and ASC virtual event. We're excited for you to join us for today's panel titled, What Spine and Pain Management Will Look Like in 2030? I'll be your moderator for today's panel. Before I introduce today's panelists, I'd like to go over just a few housekeeping items. We have a time panel for a short question and answer session. You can submit any questions you have throughout the panel by typing them in the Q&A box you see on your screen. If we don't have time to get to your question directly after the event. Finally, this session is being recorded and will be available on demand. We'll send you instructions on how to access the recording once today's event concludes. So before we begin, I want to take a quick moment to introduce our panelists and hear a little bit more about their background. Barbara, why don't we kick things off at you? Oh, thank you. I'm Barbara Smith. I'm the administrator at Coastal Virginia Surgery Center in Newport News, Virginia. We've just opened our center, uh, been open about five months, uh, through, got it through the pandemic and we are ready to go. And I'm uh, very happy to be here today. All right, we're happy to have you here. And uh, Dr. Kumar, how about you? Uh, thanks, Alan. Um, I'm Dr. Ajay Kumar. I'm an interventional pain um, physician. I'm an own independent private practice. Uh, I've been a trained orthopedician from India and I've been training from Champlain University Hospital. I've been attending at uh, UMDNJ, Rutgers University, as well as Albert Einstein Hospital. Uh, presently, I have practices in North Jersey and Pennsylvania, and I'm also a board executive member of Surgery Center in, in Morris County. Okay, thank you, Dr. Kumar. And last but not least, Dr. El Sahi. Hi, uh, Ahmed El Sahi. Um, uh, previously, uh, uh, a plastic surgeon, uh, fully trained, and uh, switch um, uh, to uh, anesthesia and pain management. I'm assistant professor in Vienna University. Um, uh, the uh, fellowship, uh, multidisciplinary uh, fellowship program director. And um, I've been in practice uh, with pain management uh, for over 20, the 20 years. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much to each of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to be here. Um, so, so to kick things off, um, I really want to get a better view of what the spine and pain management industry looks like in, in 2021. Uh, Dr. Elsie, let's go to you first for this one. Uh, what do you see as, as the biggest factors affecting growth in the field today? Uh, there are multiple factors that actually uh, help to um, uh, make the growth or increase the growth of the spine and the pain management. Uh, one big thing is the rapid industrialization, like of advanced therapeutic devices. Uh, um, also, better reimbursement policies uh, with most of the uh, insurance companies. Um, rising cases of chronic medical conditions and uh, increasing uh, geriatric population uh, base. And these are, I think these are the four uh, main factors that actually help the growth of the pain management. All right, got it. And Dr. Kumar, would you like to build on uh, Dr. Elsie's comments there? What, what do you see kind of the biggest factors in the affected I growth? I agree with some of the points Dr. Elsie have raised. I also think that as we all know that back pain is from the leading musculoskeletal cause of disability 
and absent from work uh, and is a huge economic loss to the country. So there is a need uh, to, for the spine and pain management to provide effective treatments. And fortunately, with the recent push of moving away from opioids, there has been more, more like more need to kind of come out with treatments to help in the spine and pain. And I think that's why fortunately in the last few years, we have seen so many new technologies coming out in this field. But I think, as I said, that necessity is the mother of invention. And right now it's the, it's the right time to be in this field. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Barbara, I'd love to hear from you from the administrator standpoint. Oh, they're absolutely correct. We have an aging population, but we also have women who have had now the opportunity in the last 15 or 20 years uh, to participate more in athletics. Uh, and consequently, uh, with that uh, ability uh, and activity, um, we're seeing uh, a number of injuries. Along with that, we have men who are continuing their athletic activities past high school and college. Um, and there again, uh, you have a younger group of men and women needing pain management and orthopedic, um, unlike past generations. So that's the basis of where uh, our, our population is coming from. Um, Barbara, looking further down the line, um, say the next 10 years or so, how do you think inter interventional pain management will differ? It seems like the pain management uh, area, physicians, are uh, starting to uh, do permanent uh, nerve stimulators, uh, surgery, um, anything that can be done uh, interventionally, they are taking that on. So that is a broadening of uh, what pain management has been doing in, in the past. Got it. So the, the, more and more surgeons implanting these permanent neurostimulators is going to be set to be a trend in the coming years. Dr. Kumar, I'd love to hear from you as well from the surgical for the pain management standpoint, excuse me. As I, as I said, this is a very exciting time to be in interventional pain management. You know, just a few years ago, interventional pain used to be just chronic opioid pain management that we do a steroid injection. But now there are so many options we have. Uh, right now we have minimal invasive spine procedures like uh, minimal invasive SI joint fusion. Uh, there is uh, so much advances in neuromodulation as Barbara has said, a lot of lot interventional spine physicians are starting to do their own permanent implant as, as compared to referring them to a neurosurgeon or, or orthopedic spine surgeon. There is also uh, advances in DRG uh, modulation treatment. So we are able to treat more and more people which we have no treatment before. Like right now we can treat focal pain in any part of the body neuropathic pain, which is very exciting, you know. I never had those options before. There is also option of peripheral nerve stimulation where you can treat peripheral entrapment syndromes with this treatment. And the beauty of that is none of these involves use of opioids. We have also coming up with new uh, minimal invasive uh, interspinous stress procedure called Vertiflex, which is being done by international spine surgeons. Uh, so, um, you know, but, but I see that uh, right now there is more and more convergence of interventionally with spine surgeon. And, and I would see in the future, there would be less spine fusions and more uh, focal directed treatments where interventional physician would play a very important role. Mm. 
Yeah, really interesting. Um, and Dr. Dr. Elsie, do you do you agree with um, Dr. Kumar's assertion there that we'll, we'll potentially see less fusions in the future and more, um, you know, more bigger advancements in uh, pain management? I definitely agree with Dr. Kumar. Uh, but like to, to give you kind of background about like the pain management, uh, like especially in the in the market. If you look at the market, they uh, in to, uh, 2020, the uh, pain management uh, pain market was about $65 billion. They are expecting in 2026 to be actually $86 billion. So it's, it's a huge jump. Um, uh, pain management devices, also the market is, is huge. Um, they estimated like in 2014 was about 3.2 billion, uh, expecting in 2027 to be 8.3 billion. So there is a huge uh, uh, expansion and expectations that the pain management will grow and will increase. Um, the trend that's going actually in most of the surgical procedures, not only in pain management, is the minimal invasive procedures. Uh, that goes to laparoscopic, uh, da Vinci procedures, uh, microscopic procedures. Um, that, so the, uh, the part that's uh, minimal invasive is getting a lot, popularity, a lot of popularity and increasing a lot. Um, some of the procedures like Dr. Komar mentioned, like Vertiflex, uh, the mild procedure, uh, uh, which is minimal invasive lumbar decompression. Uh, and actually, I've been doing this for the last nine years, and it's, it's, it's very, very popular. It's very effective. Um, and then uh, you go to uh, more of uh, neurostimulation, and it's, it has a lot of advances, like uh, the high frequency, the burst stimulation. So all these are changing and uh, every year they come up with new technology and more effectiveness to, uh, to, to help with pain uh, management. Uh, different ablations, uh, uh, also infusion pumps, uh, new techniques and new improvements in the medications and the, and the, the devices. So I see it's like the, the, the market is really getting huge. And uh, yeah, I, I want to also add that the regenerative medicine is also going to be an important factor in interventional pain. Um, and I think it's going to be an exciting field for regenerative medicine also. We are, we are doing some of it and I think as more and more data will come out, that will also become one more ornamentorium to help people in chronic pain. Yeah, so it certainly seems to be from from what everyone's saying that the trend is going to increasingly lean towards these minim minimally invasive therapies. I, I'm wondering, um, how do you see endoscopic um, spine procedures fitting into the equation in, in the next 10 years? Do you think this is something that more surgeons and pain management specialists will adopt? Or um, is this maybe uh, something that, that mightn't pick up as much steam as, as one's thought? I, I, I think that's a great question, Alan. Actually, endoscopic spine surgery, I think what's going to happen is going to be more and more adopted by international pain physician. Uh, but the road barriers right now is there are a lot of places which don't want international pain physician to do this procedure. There's a lot of pushback by 
malpractice insurance carriers as well as uh, hospitals right now because they want a neurosurgeon to be do this procedure, uh, potentially because of malpractice reason. But more and more physicians are getting involved and uh, getting approved by malpractice carriers. I think endoscopic spine surgery is the future of spine. It's going to stay here. I just hope that as an interventional spine physician, we are able to get involved in more of these procedures, which we are not able to do right now. Mm -hmm. Can I ask, um, what's the what's the biggest pushback in terms of um, pain management physicians adopting this endos endoscopic spine surgery? What's the, the biggest challenge in, in, in adoption there? So like in my case, I'll tell you. So I got trained in endoscopic spine surgery and I want to do the procedure. So I asked my malpractice carrier that whether can I do this procedure, they flatly refused. They said it has to, you can't do it, we won't approve it, it has to be either an orthopedic spine surgeon or neurosurgeon. Uh, so that was that was just, you know, shot at you, there's nothing you can do. I also tried to discuss that with uh, some neurosurgeons, so I do help them in doing the procedures. And as long as I'm assistant, the malpractice carrier is okay, but my malpractice company is not okay being me with the primary surgeon and I've tried different malpractice companies. And second push me, I think it's from the hospital also, because when you try to get this procedure approved in the hospital, unfortunately, you know, I, I don't wanna say it's politics, but a lot of spine surgeons who are on the board, you know, don't let it get approved because they, they feel kind of concerned that you are taking away their breaths, like you're taking away patients and their surgery from them. So that's another area where we need more collaboration with spine surgeons where they can understand that, you know, we are part of the same team and we can help each other. Got it, got it. And, and Barbara, Dr. Elsie, I'd love to hear you kind of build off Dr. Kumar's uh, comments there in terms of, do you also endoscopic spine surgery being the future of the field? Uh, yes, I, I definitely agree. And uh, it, it is uh, a teamwork uh, when you look at working with uh, orthopedic surgeons, with the neurosurgeons and interventionists. Uh, sometimes they may, uh, all of us may, may be doing the same thing, but in a different way. So it's, it's very important to have good communications with different specialities. Uh, uh, for, for example, like the, the minimal invasive lumbar decompression that I do, the, the mild procedure, uh, it, it is considered more invasive. And uh, some of the neurosurgeons, they may think uh, uh, that they prefer to do uh, uh, open laminectomies and fusion, but these are much more invasive. Uh, uh, for patients with uh, uh, a lot of uh, comorbidities, uh, they may not be a good candidate for, for the, uh, that huge fusion. Uh, so in that case, these patients will be a good candidate for the mild procedure and they will be happy actually to send the patients to us. So it, it is a, a, a cooperation, uh, it's a teamwork. Um, so we're like, we're not taking patients away from them, but actually we are uh, completing uh, the, the, the general uh, framework of patient management uh, with uh, uh, spine problems. We're fortunate uh, in that in our center, uh, we have uh, not only spine uh, orthopedics, et cetera, but we do have good pain management and um, they will be doing um, the permanent um, stimulators. 
Um, they're working cooperatively with their other partners. So I think that a lot of it has to do with the um, area of the country that you're in and uh, how um, you are able to have uh, good partners who understand the broader picture. So uh, we're, um, we are doing that here. I, I think it's, uh, it becomes easier if you are in a group practice where an interventional pain physician is working alongside with a spine surgeon. It gets more difficult when you have an independent interventional spine practice as a pain physician and you're trying to work with okay. the neurosurgeon outside the group. But, but I think hopefully we'll get there, as Dr. Asai is saying, that we need this more communication and understanding that we are part of the same team and we have to do what is best for the patient. And most of these, most of these surgeries require a teamwork between an interventional pain and a spine surgery. Anyway. It's just another side of the coin. Yeah. Fantastic. And really, really interesting to, to get all your perspectives there about, um, you know, minimally invasive advancement in the industry and especially uh, how, how far we can see uh, endoscopic spine surgery gone. I, I, I'd love to switch gears a little bit here and um, just talk about the, the, the economic factors affecting the industry. Um, Barbara, let's, let's start with you for this question. Yes. What, what economic factors will affect spine and pain management in, in, in the coming years? Well, there are a variety of things, of course. Um, one is that um, we uh, have a aging population, as we've discussed. In 2010, 13% uh, of our population were over 65. Uh, 2020, it's gone up to uh, almost 17%. And here we're reaching uh, 2030, and a fifth of our population will be aging. Um, over 65. So the payers, particularly Medicare, are going to have to start looking for better ways of meeting the needs of those people uh, in a cost-effective manner. Um, cost, lower costs are incurred in ASCs, uh, plus the advances in technology and anesthesia. Um, the payers should start looking uh, to giving uh, ASCs a greater variety of surgeries that can be done so we can keep, they can keep their costs down um, and fulfill the needs of this aging group. I mean, we're talking about a fifth of our population. Um, that being said, um, as uh, that happens, tech, the cost of technology is going to have to be um, Fit, fitted into the budget constraints of ASCs. So there's going to be some interesting balances here. Um, but um, the other thing to remember is that this group over 65 come 2030 are going to be more computer knowledgeable. Um, they're going to be looking um, at what can be done for them. And they're going to have a very vocal uh, point of view uh, concerning their care. So all of that has to be brought to bear um, for the next 10 years and be prepared to meet their needs. Absolutely. And Dr. Asio, a lot of um, really great points raised by Barbara there. I'd love to hear um, your perspective as well on, on this and, and, and of course, Dr. Kumar as well. Yeah, definitely, uh, as she said, I agree with her, definitely with the aging uh, of the population. 
Um, so they estimating actually uh, the the population will will double by 2060, which means like we will reach about 95 million uh, uh, um, populations or above 65, which is is really huge. And of course, pain will 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 come with aging. So that's that's uh, uh, that's a given. Um, the other group also uh, is the cancer pain. Uh, cancer pain, uh, they also uh, expecting the number of cancer patients to increase. Like now, uh, the global instance of cancer is, is about uh, 17 million uh, a year. They expected in 2040 to be actually 27 million. So it's, it's a huge increase in the number of patients. Um, that, will, of course, will increase the demand for uh, cancer pain drugs and devices. Uh, and so th these are the big things, actually, that will affect the pain, uh, pain growth in the coming years. You know, uh, Dr. Cooper, anything to build off your colleagues' uh, comments there? Yeah, I agree with uh, what Barbara and Dr. Elshai said. Um, I think uh, one of the biggest factors in uh, for pain management would be the cost effectiveness. As you can see that with reimbursement cutting down and with CMS removing inpatient 67 spine put this year, there would be more and more shift of these procedures toward ASC because they're a lot more cost effective. So I think ASC is going to benefit a lot from it. Uh, the other issue would be with so many new technologies coming, we just have to make sure as a doctor that the technologies which are coming are cost effective and they're not what you call, you know, not evidence-based because with so much technology, most, as we know that not all of them would be effective or would be uh, uh, evidence-based also. So we have to take that into account. Uh, the second concern is, which I see more and more is uh, payers restricting policy. Because right now there are a lot of procedures which are not covered by a lot of insurance company, which are cost effective and mild procedure is one of them. Like mild procedure is only covered by Medicare. As far as I know, it is not covered by any commercial payer. payer. And it's, it's a very cost effective, minimal invasive procedure, much, much less costly than a spine surgery uh, and much more effective for elderly population who has so many chronic conditions where you cannot offer them any other alternative where you can only do so many epidural steroid injections to help them in pain. So I think there need to be more awareness among, among insurance carriers to cover these policies. Second thing which I'm real concerned about is that as I can see more and more shift towards uh, population moving towards Medicare, uh, because people are growing older and older and less commercial patients and Medicare reimbursements are cutting down. There is a concern that a lot of spine surgeons and interventional spine may stop taking Medicare uh, restricting access to the patient. I know in my community there are some doctors who don't take care who don't take Medicare anymore. So these are the these are the factors which I think is uh, going to be important uh, role apart from what Barbara and Dr. Osai mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that is a, a definitely a concern among, amongst pain management specialists in the AAC industry in particular is that uh, the CMS physician key physician fee cuts and reimbursement cuts might uh, reduce access to care.
to kind of hear, Dr. Alsi, I'd love to hear how you see payers impacting the landscape in the coming years, whether that be changes coming from Medicare or also commercial payers, but what are you kind of looking at um, or preparing for down the line? Um, I, I think it is, is different, uh, or I, I think it should actually improve uh, with the, the insurance companies, uh, realizing that if you if you do a say for example the my procedure you save the patient uh, uh, a lot of uh, time and and uh, you save him from going into an extensive surgery uh, which will cost the patient a lot will be risky for the patient uh, and uh, will take a much longer recovery time so if you start doing the minimal invasive procedures and gaining a, a, a good results, when they realize that the, the effectiveness, I think they will start to, to reimburse for these procedures. Yeah. Barbara, Barbara, do you care to build Dr. LC's comments there? I think you're just on mute there, sorry. Um, am I good? All good, yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Oh, Barbara, sorry, I think, um, I think you, you just muted again there. Uh, the payers are going to have to come to the table. Uh, there's no doubt about it. As I mentioned, oh, we have an aging population. Um, and when 20% of our population needs care, um, we will have to find uh, good ways to give them that care and be cost-effective. ASCs are one way, um, and reimbursement has to match what, in fact, the technology is able to give us. Um, we have a lot of great new technology coming um, that'll make things easier and simpler. Uh, there's 3D uh, printing uh, for implants, uh, to, it'll be a titanium type of uh, product and um, that will speed things along mainly because it will help um, bone growth. So we won't be using um, as many uh, screws and things like that uh, along with helping uh, the patient uh, have a quick, quicker recovery. Uh, we have augmented reality that we're looking at right now uh, and see with navigation how that will increase um, uh, the product that's produced once the patient has um, been, has the surgery. What I mean by that is um, if it's quicker and better and easier and they've been less invasive, uh, they will recover better. Uh, and all of these factors will help, I think, with the reimbursement. We won't be staying in the hospital as long. We won't need as much physical uh, therapy. Um, there are a lot of things that are coming up that will be uh, very interesting. There's also a study being done right now in um, John Hopkins in Baltimore, or something called uh, analytical uh, analysis. And uh, 
doctors throughout the world will feed in their information of what was successful, both in pain management and in surgeries. Um, and you can go to a database and look at what was successful for a patient who has certain characteristics. And you can help by eliminating a certain surgeries you might have thought of doing and realize you could go another way because of the success of the of things that are analytical things you're reading. So all of these things will help uh, reduce costs where maybe you try one thing and then have to try something else. Now as a doctor, you can go to this database, uh, review what's been done by many doctors throughout the world and choose your patient's best uh, route of success. So we have a lot coming, coming up in the next 10 years. Certainly some, some really, really interesting and great points raised by Barbara there. Um, Dr. Cooper, anything to add before we move on to our final question? Um, no, I say, but as Barbara has said, there are some exciting things coming up, uh, like artificial intelligence is another area which is very exciting if it can be developed because uh, uh, with artificial intelligence, uh, there is a good chance that, especially with complicated spine um, diagnostic treatments, uh, you can combine all the data and advise the surgeon or interventional pain physician what is the best course of action, cost-effective wise and treatment wise. So that's one area I think, uh, which is going to be very exciting. As Barbara has said that um, uh, 3D printing and robotic spine surgery are another areas but there are emerging areas. We are still, I think, in the early stages uh, because I was talking to a few of my colleagues and it seems like that the cost of 3D printing technology right now is prohibitive. They are not cost efficient, but I think hopefully with passage of time, it will be. Uh, and same thing is robotic spine surgery is not in any stage to be, uh, to be able to implement it practically at this point. But these are a few things which are definitely exciting for the future. Fantastic. Well, we've certainly touched on quite a bit so far in this panel, um, from minimally invasive te technologies to trends, payers, and everything in between. So for our final question, I'd love to hear from each of you. What's, what's, what's one thing that makes you excited about the future and one thing that makes you nervous? Um, Dr. Kumar, let's, let's uh, go to you for this one. You know, as I said, interventional pain is, uh, is, is a very exciting field at this time. You know, we are at, uh, I'm very excited to be in this field just because I have so many things to offer to my patient, which I never had access to before. You know, uh, right now, I, if I see a patient, I always have something to offer, even if he has one of the complicated chronic pain conditions or anything. Like if a patient has, say, a nerve pathology and a and an arthritic pathology, I can I can offer them treatment. If, if somebody has multiple problems affecting multiple type parts of the body, I can specialize focal treatment for every areas. Uh, so I'm very excited to be in this field, especially with the advancement of minimal invasive spine technologies. I think right now it's an emerging trend, but within 10 years, that will be the standard of care. Uh, nervousness, I think the most thing I get nervous about is, uh, is uh, access to these treatments. Uh, that's my most worried because of the cost cutting by Medicaid and all commercial pair carriers. And it seems like that in some procedures, it doesn't make sense because the pair what you get from the payers is much less than what you have to pay out in terms of time and the cost of the implant. And I had struggled in my surgery center where I couldn't do some procedures because the cost of the implant was more than the cost mm -hmm. of uh, the payer reimbursement. So the, so the company and the ASC had to sit down together to come up with the pricing, which was mutually acceptable. 
but it took a long time and I couldn't do procedures for a long time uh, in the surgery center and hospital, same, same issue. And, and I think my feeling is that going forward, it's going to become even worse, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, certainly. It certainly seems to be uh, the, a lot of excitement around these minimally invasive technologies. But uh, Dr. Dr. Alsi, do you also share the same excitement uh, in terms of Dr. Kumar or uh, what else are you kind of nervous about for the future of the, the field? Um, I, I've always tried to be positive and I think there is a lot of good things to look at, uh, for in the future. Uh, it's like now we kind of uh, uh, switching from the era of prescribing narcotics uh, to non-narcotic uh, uh, approaches and treatments and uh, the more advances in non-opioid medications, uh, neuromodulations, uh, advanced ultrasound uh, uh, machines, uh, uh, ablations, different procedures uh, uh, and using the, the cool radio frequency, pulse radio frequency and thermal. So a, a lot of things actually in giving a really good hope that the, the practice will improve. Uh, the other thing also uh, being a, like a, a, a fellowship program director that we are changing the approach of the new uh, uh, fellows that coming out to uh, to serve the communities to be multidisciplinary uh, programs. So uh, that's what the approach that we're taking uh, right now in Indiana University is um, they get exposed to so many different uh, departments and it's like neuroradiology, radiation oncology, uh, pediatrics, addiction and the psychology. Uh, so they get uh, really uh, the whole approach about pain management. It's not only, uh, only a procedure, no, it's a whole approach. And that's what would be really uh, very promising for the future. Uh, what I would be nervous about, maybe the things that happened last year and still happening is to have something like the COVID that really affected the, uh, the practice and uh, pain management was one of the uh, practices that was really affected. Uh, not a whole lot of people were able to go to see the, the pain management specialist and uh, um, uh, even patients with acute pain that not well treated and start develop chronic pain, and uh, uh, so uh, that uh, hopefully, if we can get it under control, uh, the future will will look brighter to us. Absolutely, and thank you so much for sharing your insight there, Dr. Alsey. And um, Barbara, I'd also love to hear from uh, your perspective as an administrator. What are you excited about and also what are you nervous about? Uh, what I'm excited about is building on the technologies we're seeing right now and knowing we're going to be able to eventually bring them into an ASC setting. Um, it'll give the uh, surgeon the ability to do less invasive surgery um, and therefore less injury, uh, give the patient a, a better overall quality of care 
uh, and that's always our primary interest, um, our primary goal. Um, I think what worries uh, some is, or concerns some of the surgeons of today is that the uh, surgeons of tomorrow um, aren't relying so much on the technology um, that uh, at their disposal, that they will continue to relate to their patient one-on-one -on -one and have empathy for them. Because when you get caught up in just depending on technology, uh, somewhere in there, uh, you can't forget your patient. And um, I think that would be uh, one of their concerns, the surgeons I'm speaking of, of course. Absolutely. So some really, really great points there as well. Thank you so much, Barbara. So, so before we close out, I'd like to give each of our panelists one more opportunity to share any final thoughts. And Barbara, let's stick with you. What is your 30 second takeaway from today's panel that you'd like to share with our audience? It is very nice to be able to uh, look at this. I, I run a surgery center. Uh, you gave me the opportunity to delve into some questions that I hadn't had an opportunity to look at. And um, it gives me a lot of encouragement for the future and where this surgery center will be heading in the next 10 years. Uh, you know, you do your day-to-day -day things and um, you have to look to the future. And so thank you very much for this opportunity and hearing the doctors speak about where they're going with their uh, careers. It is um, an exciting time for all of us as we come out of the pandemic and um, live, a, live a different kind of life, I think. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Barbara. And uh, Dr. Alzi, what is your 30-second um, take that you'd like to leave our audience members with today? It's like I, I said, um, um, uh, all is positive. I think we have the bright future. Uh, we have everything online uh, for advancement of uh, new technologies, uh, neuromodulations, and uh, 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 preparing the new uh, pain management uh, fellows with, with multidisciplinary approach and uh, 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 good communications with other specialities. And I, I think uh, uh, the future would be really bright. Yeah, Dr. Asse, I love that positive attitude and um, certainly a lot to be excited about for the ASC space in the coming years. Um, Dr. Coomer, also love to hear from you. I think it's building on what Dr. Elsay said that I think uh, this is the best time to be in information pain field. We have so many excited, exciting options which we never had before to offer to, to, offer to our patients. Um, um, so, so I think I'm very excited about it. We are moving away from opioid, which is again, it create huge things. Uh, and, uh, and we have options which we would never had before. So the only way we had is to write opioids. The only thing I would like is I would like uh, as an interventional pain physician and spine surgeon, you know, to combine together and do something more together where we can, you know, present evidence-based medicine to peers and kind of force them or kind of negotiate with them to start covering these treatments. Because that's the challenge that we have so much to offer, but a lot of it is just not covered by peers. Uh, and that's what is challenging, a little frustrating at this time. And I, I hope and wish that we're able to uh, counter that, uh, 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 that negativity right now. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kumar, Barbara and Dr. Elsie for, for taking the time to be with us today and sharing your valuable insights. We really do appreciate it. Uh, and to our, all of our attendees who joined us, thank you so much for taking the time to be a part of our Becker's Orthopedics, Spine and ASC virtual event. Thank you.